love that video. It's a good message, right? Who are you bringing this year to, to the manger to tell them about Jesus? A couple announcements, and then we'll get into our message today. Um, we have some poinsettias left, $12 a piece. They're the big, nice ones. Uh, uh, every penny of that goes to our Haiti mission trip, so be sure and uh, pick those up. We also um, have some shirts Faith can move mountains. Every penny of this goes towards our uh, Haiti mission, or it goes towards everybody in the in the Haiti mission trip. So these are twenty dollars a piece. Um, if you're interested in this, um, it it just goes to the general fund. It goes. This is part of the the ten thousand, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, if you don't know what the 10,000 is, uh, we're trying to raise $10,000. 5,000 of it goes towards um, uh, building uh, some houses in Haiti, renovating some houses. 5,000 goes towards helping other people's scholarships. If, you, if, if we get that, we'll, we'll, the, the, the band will do a video and we'll actually we'll do a live performance of a video that is demeaning um, to those who, who will be on stage, but, <clears throat> but it'll be fun. So it's all for a good cause. We'll show you that in, in the future. Tonight is our Christmas um, celebration. So you'll come in here at five o'clock, 5.30, 5.35 will be finished. It'll be all music and, and video in here tonight. Then we'll go out and have a contest. I have had texts about this contest. Text people saying, you know, I'm a control freak. How dare you say there's something that's surprising going on at church that we can't tell you about it. And I just text back, he, 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 because, you know, I, I like tormenting people too. So anyway, if you want to part- participate participate in the contest tonight, you need a star. And somebody said, well, what size star? The star needs to be between eight and 10 inches uh, big. So if you bring a small one, that's great. Yay for you. You can go buy a small one. You will be counted off. I'm just telling you that if you make it at home, you get, you get credit for that. The winner of the contest, which is a secret contest, gets a hundred dollar gift card to Walmart, $50 gift card, second place, $25 gift card is third place. And so we'll do that. Now, when you, when you leave here, um, if you don't want to participate in the contest, you can go on out and do the uh, the hayride, which goes down around the pond. We've got lights up. We've Every year we get a little bigger and a little better with our lighting, and so it really looks good down there. Thank you for all the people who did stuff. We have a military corner, a patriotic area. We've got a candy land. We've got all these different things. So we'll go down there. You can do the hayride, and then we'll have a bonfire and, and hot chocolate and s'mores and all of those things. It's going to be a lot of fun tonight. So be here at 5 and, uh, and join in with us. Now, I need... Uh, actually I need one truck. If you have a four by four truck and you would be willing to pull one of the trailers for the hayride uh, because of the rain, thank you, Jesus, for the rain. We got a little water in the pond. Um, we need a four by four truck to go around. It will fit fine. We just don't want to get stuck. So if you're willing to do that, um, let me know. I've got one truck. We need two. And so let me know and we'll get you hooked up with that later. Um, Next Sunday is Christmas Eve, one service only at 11 a.m. Nursery through three years old will be available in the back. All the other kids will be in here with us. We'll have a kind of combined big church and children's church, and it's going to be a lot of fun that day. And uh, we'll finish up with um, singing Silent Night by Candlelight since it's Christmas Eve that day. That'll be the last song that we do. On December 31st, we also have one service only at 11 a.m., but the full kids program will be going on in the back. If you're willing to work back there during the 11 o'clock service, let Janie know, so we'll make sure that's covered. And then you see the license to carry class is coming up in, in January. You need to get that. You need to get paid for. So the way you do that, there's some envelopes back there. Put your money, check cash. We don't care. Put your money in there. Put LTC on the outside and, and your name so that we mark you down as paid. LTC is license to carry. That's what they call it now instead of uh, concealed handgun. So anyway, get that taken care of. Now, when I was thinking about today's message, I I just, I thought about that great theologian, Forrest Gump. 
And Forrest said, life is like a box of chocolates. That's the best I can do. You're just going to have to deal with that. He said, you never know what you're going to get, right? What he was saying is life is full of surprises. Um, surprises happen. And, and the reason, I mean, you're not ready for them. That's why it's a surprise. Years ago, about 20 years ago, I read the story of a mom who took her son to a mall in New York City to visit Santa Claus. And she got the surprise of her life when she discovered that Santa Claus was her ex-husband who had not been paying child support. She decided to surprise him as well. Three hours later, she came back with a court injunction, slapped it on Santee. I don't think he was having a holly jolly Christmas after that. He was not expecting that to happen. Stuff happens, surprises happen. But if you were here for our last series, you heard me say that everything that happens, God causes to happen. Last week we talked about there's a spiritual battle going on. There are, there are forces of evil. There are forces of good. God is the force of good. There, the, the, the evil has been defeated. Satan has been cast out of heaven um, and he's mad about it. So he attacks you and me physically. If you're a believer, he can't attack your soul, but he can blind the minds of non-believers so that they don't see the glory of Christ. He is after this world. He's mad. He's ticked off. There's a spiritual battle going on. God does not cause evil. He did not create evil. We choose to do evil when we follow Satan and not God. So when a rape happens, God didn't plan for that to happen. When atrocities happen, God didn't plan that. Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can pray that, but we don't always choose to do God's will on earth like it is in heaven. Sometimes we choose to do evil, and that causes pain and suffering for, for people around us. Um, there are times that, that we cause evil and, and God has to step in, but, but there's also other times that God just descends in the middle of, of circumstances and he changes lives. And that's what I'm talking about today. Just a quick poll. How many of you have ever had your plans messed up? You thought it was going one way and it's going another. Most of us. All right. Just making sure. I could give you several examples of my failed um, plans or when my plans were interrupted by God. At various times in my life, I thought that I would be a fireman, a baseball player, a singer, a music minister, which is a worship pastor, that was a Baptist thing, and take early retirement and live on a lake. Those were my plans that God has messed up. And I don't want to get into all of my stuff that was my failures, but there was, there was an episode with multi-level marketing that was kind of bad and, and left a scar. And so anyway... Uh, we all have had our plans changed. Breakups happen, sicknesses happen, but some of you have had your plans messed up in just the last year. One year ago today, it was so cold that for Christmas celebration, we canceled the bonfire. How cold does it have to be to cancel a bonfire? Right? It was in the 20s, and, and we can't handle that around here. If you're from the north, just get over it. We don't care that you're, you're tough. It was cold. We had heaters out here on the covered drop-off and, and people would wait and they were bundled up like they were at the North Pole and they would hop on and, and they would go around the, the lights and then they'd come back in. We had all of our hot chocolate and all of our games and stuff were inside because it was so cold that we couldn't go out and do anything. Um, sometimes I just kind of shake my head when, when I think about the ups and downs that my life has gone through. And when I was thinking about this, I, I, I just couldn't help but think about five months ago, even though I had two years remaining on my passport. I decided it'd be a good idea to get a brand new passport in downtown Miami while the rest of the group flew to Haiti. And uh, 
And God has a sense of humor because I'd been to Peru this summer and I didn't shave while I was climbing the mountain in Peru and this is what I looked like. So I, every time I see my passport, I laugh because I'm like, God's reminding me, dude, you're not in charge. But I will say this, I learned about God when I'm standing in downtown Miami with 200 people in line that, that if God wants you to go to Haiti, he'll move even the federal government because I got my new passport in four hours in Miami. I was back at the airport making my plans for the next day before Janie and the, the group um, got into Haiti. Within 24 hours, I'm in Haiti. Janie was telling the girls, y'all should plan for dad not getting here. I'm not sure she's getting out of this one. And, and, but, but I was there within 24 hours. All glory to God. I thank him that he, he moved the federal government because I didn't think I was going to make it. Um, as I look back, I see the hand of God in my life over and over, and I'm glad he stepped in. But sometimes when God steps, actually most of the time when God steps in, it is very painful. But I'm grateful that he loved me enough to chip away, you know, like that chisel skit that we showed a few weeks ago, the, the video. God chisels away what doesn't need to be there because he loves us, and I'm grateful for that. So it's kind of like this. Your plan is the little bicycle up here and straight path. There are no bumps on that path. My kids were ticked off when they resurfaced our, uh, the road in our neighborhood because before it was very smooth. You could ride, you could do roller skates, you could ride those little, you know, anything, skateboards out there. When they resurfaced it, they jacked up our road. It's horrible. They were, they were so mad that they messed up our road. You want your road to have no bumps, but, but God often does this. Takes you here and what's that? Oh, yeah, you're not as confident as the first service. They're like, rocks. And I said, that might not be rocks. And they're like, rocks. I said, Dude, that could be fog. That could be bushes. Anyway, we just had an argument in the first service. So thank you for not, not being so, so sure. You're right. There's rocks and there's all kinds of stuff. God takes you all over the place. But God says, I will be with you. As long as God is with you, he can change your circumstances. Now, if we, if we admit it today, we have to say that most of the time, many times, we're in messes because of our own dumb choices. We make bad choices and we suffer the consequences. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the times that God shows up in the midst of your circumstances and changes everything. That's what happened to Mary and Joseph over 2,000 years ago at the very first Christmas. Now, to understand how badly God messed up their plans, I got to tell you a little bit about Jewish marriage custom. In those days, um, if you were going to get married, it was always arranged by the fathers. The fathers would talk about it and they'd say, this is how much it's going to cost and all this. So what would happen is in, many times when, an, when a boy was an infant and a girl was an infant, their dads would get together and they'd say, we're going to marry these two. It was an arranged marriage. Sometimes it was uh, when a, the young man was older, he would go with his dad. They would go to the, the girl's house. They would talk to the father. They would negotiate a price for the bride because the bride would move out of her dad's house, move in um, with her husband who was usually he would stay at his dad's house, just build on an extra area. And, and so um, the, 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 the bride's dad would be losing a worker. And so you would have to pay for his loss of, of someone working for him. And so once they agreed to that, then they would, they would have this little ceremony where the, the groom would go up to the bride and hand her a cup. It's called the cup of redemption. And so he would drink from it and he would offer her the cup. This is one of the pictures of the Lord's Supper that we always talk about. He would hand her the cup if she took the cup and she drank it, regardless of what the dads had agreed to. If she took the cup, she was saying, I accept your offer of your life and I give you my life in return. And I can't wait. I'm going to tell you more about this in January. We're going to do a new series called Follow and we're going to talk more about that. But, but that's the basic idea. So they would agree to this 
a, a period of betrothal. It was one year. And, and the, the bride would stay at her dad's house and the groom would go back and stay at his, his dad's house for one year. During that one year, it gave the, the groom time to build onto his father's house so he would, he would have an acceptable place for his, his bride to come and live. Um, it was unacceptable for him to marry her and not have a place for her to live. And then it would also give one year to prove that the bride was a virgin. It's a big deal in those days because if she was found to be with child during that one year period, she was not faithful to the marriage vows and they could have a divorce, which is what Joseph thought about doing. So this is the really cool part that neither the groom nor the bride knows when the wedding is going to happen. They would stay there. They would prove themselves for one year and the, the father of the groom would decide when. He'd say, today's the day, and they would announce it. And so they would have this big processional where they would go and they would get the bride and, and they would come back and, and they would consummate the marriage physically and they would start living together. I think it's so cool and there's so many parallels to Jesus coming back when the father said, now's the day, and you go back and there's gonna be a shout. That's how they announce, he's coming, the groom is coming, and she would be anticipating this, getting ready, and you know there were big plans. How many of you ladies and girls have dreamed about your wedding day? Three? Dude, everybody in the first service. It, it is so funny, the difference in these two services. None of you. See, what I told them is in my house, if I give up control of the remote, one of the first things is say yes to the dress. And I'm like, dude, I can't, I can't even. I can't even say yes to watching that program, much less to the dress. And I'm like, where are all the dudes in the... There are no dudes... Anyway... It's that or it's, it's cooking or it's, um, uh, what's the, oh, remodeling. Um, Hallmark. Well, no, they don't do Hallmark so much. But anyway, <clears throat> I'm just saying there were lots of plans being made and God messed them up. God steps in and says, I'm going to change things a little bit. The angel says to Mary, three things are going to happen. You're going to get pregnant. You're going to have a virgin birth. And oh yeah, your baby's going to be God. Do you think it's an understatement to say Mary didn't plan on that happening? She was probably 12 or 13 years of age. That's when they did the betrothal thing. Kind of messed up her plans. Joseph must have had an incredible love for Mary because if someone was caught in unfaithfulness, and that's what the one-year period was for, was to see if she became pregnant, you could have the death sentence for that. And Joseph started to divorce her quietly until the angel said, oh, nope. This was prophesied 700 years ago by Isaiah when Isaiah said, there will be a child and you will call him wonderful counselor, prince of peace, mighty God, the everlasting father. And Joseph says, I get to be the stepdad of the Messiah? Changed his plans, right? He didn't plan on that. Now we can learn some lessons from this story. The way Mary and Joseph responded um, gives us a lot of things. When, when God messes up your plans, God has some things that he wants you to remember. Four things that I've got on your listening guide that he wants you to remember. Number one, when God messes up your plans, he is trying to get your attention. In Mary and Joseph's case, it was so incredible. So once in history event, I mean, have you ever heard of another virgin birth? I've heard it claimed. One virgin birth never happened before. Will it ever happen again? No. God came and it was so incredible that God had to send angels to Mary and to Joseph. Supernatural beings had to come announce this. 
It was incredible. God says, I'm coming to earth. His name is going to be Jesus Christ. And we're going to split history into BC and AD before Christ and Anno Domini. Um, we're going to split. He's the only one in history who, who split history in two. And even, even when people try to call it the common era and before the common era, they're still referring the common era of what? Before Christ emerged and the common era is when Christ emerged. Anyway, that's just my deal. Now, let me stop right here and let me say this. Angels showed up to Mary and Joseph because it was a crazy once in a lifetime event, once in history event. You don't need an angel to tell you what God has to say to you. Let me show you why. Hebrews 1. Long ago, God spoke in many different ways to our fathers through the prophets, in visions, dreams, and even face-to-face, telling them little by little about his plans. But now... In these days, what days? In the common era, since Jesus has emerged, since he's come, since the time of Christ, since the time of the New Testament church, in these times, in these days, he has spoken to us through his son. God sent Jesus to show us what God was like. The Bible says he is the exact representation of the invisible God. He's the visible manifestation of the invisible God. He's just like him. And Jesus taught this. He said, when I leave this earth, He said, I'll send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will convict people of sin. The Holy Spirit will remind people of everything Jesus has has taught. And the Holy Spirit will also tell Christians things that are yet to happen. It's just this incredible deal. Only followers of Christ have this. If you're a member of God's family, you don't need an angel to tell you what's going on. You have the Holy Spirit of the living God living inside of you. And the Bible says you can have the mind of Christ. How do you do that? You meditate on God's word. You pray to God and you listen and God will change you and reveal things to you. Now, you, you got to be careful. To whom you listen will determine whether you're successful or not in, in the life, in the Christian life. Because when the devil gives you an idea, we call it temptation. When God gives you an idea, we call it inspiration. And just in case you don't know the difference, God will never inspire you to do something that causes you to promote yourself above someone else. God calls you to give your life as a ransom for someone else. Satan tempts you to have sex, to, to take money, to focus on things other, so that you can promote yourself. God never does that. That's the difference in temptation and inspiration. God doesn't tempt. James tells us he cannot be tempted. He doesn't tempt us. We are tempted when we are consumed by our own desires. And my desires are to put me over you. That's from Satan. But for me to, to yield to you, and, and to honor you as better than myself, that's inspiration from God. Now, when you get too busy, God has to try to get your attention. It's kind of like a phone, right? Have y'all ever um, had somebody call and you see who calls and you ignore the call? I've had one or two of you do it to me when I can see you. Yeah, no. Yeah, John's one of, no. I've actually done it just messing with somebody. Punk. We do it to God. God's trying to call us all the time. Sometimes we just flat ignore him. Sometimes we let it go to voicemail. Oh God, I'll, I'll, get, I'll listen when I have a chance. And somehow we never have a chance. And it frustrates your heavenly father so much so that this is in the scriptures. Look what it says in Psalm 81, 13. God says, I wish my people would listen to me. Why does he want you to listen? Why is he trying to get your attention? 
Many times it's because he wants to protect you. He's trying to protect you from something that will destroy you. So, uh, Proverbs 16, 25 says this, there is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. Have you ever thought something was a sure thing, but when you look back, the only sure thing was that you wasted a lot of time and money on that sure thing? God says there's a way that seems right, but it ends in death. That's why God says, listen to me. He knows the future. He knows the detours. He knows where he wants to take you. If you'll listen, you'll avoid a lot of pain in life. I'm studying right now in Joshua chapter six. I started in Genesis and here's what I'm finding over and over that it says in the Bible. God says, if you do these things, I will be with you. I will bless your life. If you do these other things, you will experience misery. You'll experience broken relationships, guilt, resentment. You'll experience all kinds of pain because you're going that way. And I am not with you when you go that way. You're going to get mad. You're going to worry all the time. When God tells you what to do, it's not because he's some bully trying to control your life. He's like a loving mother who says to her child, don't touch that hot stove or don't run out into the road because if you do, you're going to get hurt. That's what your heavenly father is like. God says, listen to me, I'll help steer you clear of disaster. There's a way that seems right to you, but because God has a different perspective, he says, that way ends in death. I want to protect you. So God's trying to get our attention. He wants to protect us. Third thing, when he messes up our plans, he has a different plan. And it's a better plan. One of my favorite verses is Jeremiah 29, 11. Here's what it says in the living Bible. Oh, no, new century version. I say this because I know what I'm planning for you, says the Lord. I have good plans for you, not plans to hurt you. I will give you hope and a good future. If you have your Bibles, circle those words, hope and good future. Because that's what God says for you. If you don't have those things, you're not on God's path. God's plan for your life is not just a good plan. It is the best plan. I was a youth minister for 19 years and I had teenagers all the time become confused about who God is. They would say to me, I've heard it, I can't even tell you how many times, I'm gonna live my life fun and then sometime I'm going to settle down and get right with God. The problem with that is while they're living their life and having fun, they're experiencing misery, broken relationships, all kinds of stuff and they get so far from God that they can't hear his voice until they get it at the bottom and they realize that everybody has walked away from them and then they finally can hear that voice of God that says, I love you and I want better for you. They have to hit bottom before they trust in him. God says, you don't understand. I love you, I made you for a purpose and I have a wonderful plan for your life and it's better than your plan. Let me tell you about God's plan, how it compares to your plan. Number one, God's plan is for your life is always bigger than your plan. If what you're attempting, everybody knows you can do in your power, it has nothing to do with God and it will not honor God, it will not glorify God. God says, don't even ask me to bless your plans because it won't magnify my name. It'll only show people that you're religious. So God says, I'm not into that. God says, I didn't come to reveal you to a watching world. God's not into revealing you, he's into revealing his son. So it's gonna be bigger than you. Mary and Joseph just wanted to get married and have little children running around. God wanted to bless the world through them. I got news for you. God wants to bless the world through you too. But you have to follow him. Just like Mary and Joseph, you have to say, God, do to me what you say. A 12 or 13 year old girl says, be it done to me as you have said. 
You want to be used by God, you say, God, whatever you say, I'm going to do. God loves to use people who abandon their plans for his plans. God's plan is bigger than your plan. God's plan is always harder than your plan. That's why so many people bail out on him. Human nature wants to take the path of least resistance, the easy way out. God says, no, I'm not interested in the easy way. You want to know why God's way is harder? Because God is so much more interested in your comfort. I mean, your character than your comfort. Set it backwards. He's more interested in your character, which you will take to heaven with you, than your comfort. You won't take your comfort to heaven. He wants you to grow up. So when God's plan and your plan collide, you have to make a choice. Who's in charge? And whatever you choose at that point will demonstrate to everybody, God, angels, everybody, who's in charge in your life. If you had every problem removed from your life, you know what you would be? A spoiled brat. You'd be worthless in the kingdom of God. Because I want you to think about this. Do you think it was easy for Mary to say, okay, I'll be an unwed mother in this culture, in her culture, which, which she could die for that. I'll be an unwed mother. Or... <laughs> How about the travel plans? Nazareth is a five-day journey from Bethlehem if you have a donkey. We don't know whether she rode on a donkey. We assume she did. We don't know. But she was nine months pregnant. Ladies, you want to sign up for that one? Hey, I'll go ride a donkey. And in, in this area, Nazareth, it's hilly. There's no flat stuff out there. Ladies, how many of you, okay, if you're pregnant in the next year or so, how many of you would sign up for, I'm going to ride to the Natchez River, find a cave, and have my baby there so I can be like Jesus? Anyone? No. That's ridiculous. When they got there, they were going to a place five days journey away, no relatives, no friends to celebrate with them, no midwife. They found a cave. It was probably a cave, not, uh, probably not the little manger scene that we see. It was probably a cave. Janie and I got to go to Bethlehem and we stood in a cave. It was really this awesome thing and it's huge. And there's actually different ways you can get in out. And, and we think that maybe, we don't know for sure, maybe it was the cave where, where David hid from Saul when Saul was trying to kill him. And it explains how Saul could have gotten away. There was a, we climbed out. It was pretty funny watching my brothers and, and their spouses and, and me and my spouse climb out these, because it was small. We were squeezing through there to think that that may have been where David was and it very well could have been where Jesus was born. And it probably wasn't a, a wooden feeding trough. It was probably carved out of stone. There was a little place there where they said they, they would put hay right there for the animals and to think that the savior of the world was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a feeding trough. We were there. And to think about how, how crazy, God's plan, crazy God's plan was if you can't see the end, if you can't see what he's doing. God's plan is always harder. It's always bigger and it's always more rewarding than your plan. First Corinthians 2.9 says this, no mere man has ever seen, heard, or even imagined what wonderful things God has for those who love the Lord. You see, when, when you cooperate with God's plan, you're gonna get two benefits that I don't think you're gonna get anywhere else. You're gonna get significance and you're going to get soul satisfaction. You may gain temporary significance if somebody applauds for you, but you're not going to get soul satisfaction unless you're doing what God, your creator, made you to do. When you do that, there is no feeling in the world like it. I think that would be kind of the best Christmas present you could get this year. 
is to have significance, meaning knowing that this life, I've been here 53 years. I don't know if I'm going to make it to 54 because I don't know. The Bible, James says that, that you should never say, I'm going to go do this and this tomorrow. You should say, if the Lord wills, I'm going to do this. So I told him we're going to have other ideas for our Christmas celebration next year, if the Lord wills. Doesn't matter if I plan something, I need to be on God's plan. If the Lord wills, I'm going to do these other things. But, but regardless of whether I'm here next year, if, if, as long as I'm following God's plan, he's going to make sure that my life has this ripple effect throughout eternity. That's something I'm willing to sell out for. I'm not willing to sell out for, for some person's plan. I want God's plan. Even if it means he has to mess up my plans. When God's messing up your plans, he wants to get your attention. He wants to protect you. He wants you to know he has a better plan. And the last thing is he wants you to trust him. It is all about trust in the kingdom of God. Do you know how you're not putting faith in God? There, there's, there's, a, there's some indicators that you're not trusting God. Three indicators. Fatigue, frustration, and fear. If you're worn out, it probably means you're doing more than God ever intended for you to do. If you're frustrated, it probably means you're going a direction that God never intended for you to go. If you worry all the time, what you're saying is, God, you do not understand. God, you are not big enough. I know there was a virgin birth. I know that, that you raised people from the dead and you healed diseases. I know that Jesus Christ died and was in the tomb three days and you raised him from the dead, but you are not big enough to handle my mortgage problem. You're not big enough, God, and powerful enough to handle my marriage problem. Seriously? You don't understand God if you think he's not big enough. You got the wrong God. Because as Jesus Christ revealed him, there is nothing that he can't overcome. God wants us to trust him. And, and if you have fatigue and frustration and fear, it means you're doing your life in your power. See, if you want to have God's power, you honor him. When we honor God as our only hope, he honors us because his name is at stake. What I'm discovering in the Old Testament over and over, this happened with Moses. I just read it about Joshua. Moses, one time he said, God, because God was going to destroy the Israelites. They were wicked. They, they built the, the golden calf and God says, I'm going to destroy them. Well, at one point he said, I'm not going to go with you. I'll send my angel with you. And Moses says, if you don't go, God, I'm not going. God said, okay, I'll go with you. Two other times, God said, these people are wicked. I'm going to destroy them. I'll start and I'll make a new nation through you, Moses. And Moses said, no, God, no, because then Egypt will hear about it. And Egypt will say, you were not able to bring your people into this land twice. And both times when, when Moses prayed that, God said, you're right. I will deliver these people. So I just read about Joshua, you know, they go in and Jericho, Jericho's this miraculous deliverance. They don't even raise a finger. All they do is march around and shout, oh, the walls fall down, they all go running in. It's awesome. So then they get cocky. They don't talk to God. He sends spies to this little town called Ai. And they come back and they go, oh, Joshua, it's small. Just send about 3,000 men. You don't need many, just go. So they go and they're routed by this little bitty town. Joshua falls on his face and he's whining before God. Oh, God. God says, get up. There's sin in your camp. 
Joshua says, God, the people are going to hear that you're not big enough. And God says, oh, I'm plenty big enough. The problem is you got sin in your life. And I will not promote your life when you have sin in your life. Get up, deal with the sin. So they, they found that, that uh, Achan had taken a little, Achan had taken, Achan had taken some of the stuff that was devoted to God. Achan called it spoils. He said, I saw some of the spoils and I desired to have it. I took it. He desired to have something that belonged to God and God judged the whole nation. 36 people died. It was the only time that the Israelites in the land of Canaan were defeated because they had turned their backs on God. God punished the nation. And, they call, and Achan's name actually means troubler. And to this day, he's known in, in Jerusalem, in Israel, as the troubler of Israel. How'd you like to have that attached to your name? When they, when they dealt with his sin openly and before God, God destroyed the city of Ai. And then they went on to victory. You got to be careful who you're listening to. See, when, 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 the, just think about Joseph. I, I want you to understand this. God gives you one step at a time. So with Joseph, he thinks his wife has cheated. He's going to put her away. And then an angel comes up and says, nope, 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 take her as your wife. So step one is take her as your wife. He violated every custom of the time by taking her into his home. Take her as your wife, step one. Step two is, oh, Herod wants to kill all the babies in Bethlehem. Take this boy to Egypt and hide. That was step two. So he goes to Egypt, stays there a little while, and then the angel comes and says, hey, guess what? Step three, everybody who wanted to kill Jesus is gone. I want you to come back. As he obeyed that step, God gave him the next step. So let me just say that if you want God to use you, you've got to do what Joseph did and, and obey step one. Some of you have been told what to do by God and you refuse to do it. God will not tell you the next thing until you do what he's already told you to do. Joseph did what God revealed and then he got the next step. If you don't trust God, God will not trust you. That's what it says in Hebrews eleven six. 6. It is impossible to please God without faith. Every time God messes up your plans, it's a test of who are you going to believe in, you or God. And you need to understand, we talked about this in, in, our, in the meantime series. If this represents my life compared to eternity, living by sight means I base every decision on what I can see in my little bitty life. Faith says I'm going to trust God. Sight says I'm going to, I'm going to base everything I see, uh, everything I do on what I see, my perspective, Faith says God is bigger than my little life and I'm going to see from his perspective. And, and let me tell you about perspective. Um, I, I got to give you this quote and then I'll finish up. Jeff Myers, this was quoted years ago uh, by Henry Blackaby, said this. The first sign that a nation is self-destructing is that citizens believe they can decide for themselves what is right and wrong. Citizens believe they construct their own reality. Truth is out there to be discovered, we are told. Truth and ultimately reality itself is created by their own words and actions. So what they're saying is it doesn't matter what you believe, just be sincere about it. The problem is you can be sincerely wrong. You have been, I have been too. So sure you're right. Check out this picture. Who can tell me who this is? You win a prize. I need to give Artis a prize. This guy's name is Harry S. Truman, not the president. In May 8th, 1980, Mount St. Helens erupted. I was a sophomore in high school, grew up in, in the panhandle of Texas, and it was such a massive eruption that the dust from the volcano actually came over the panhandle of Texas and dimmed the day. 
several days. They were worried about all of this dust. It was massive. It was crazy. Harry Truman lived very close to Mount St. Helens. The park rangers came to, to evacuate the whole park, and he said, I'm not leaving. He said, that volcano has not erupted in the 80 years I've been alive, and it's not going to erupt now. I'm staying. A couple of days later, Mount St. Helens blew up, and Harry S. Truman was covered under 500 feet of debris, of dirt, never to be found again. He sincerely believed that that volcano was not going to erupt. And he based it on his own experience. But let me tell you this, sincerity is not a test of truth. Just because you've experienced something does not mean that's the way God operates. If you want to know if what your experience, and I'm saying you can have valid experiences, it's your interpretation of those experiences that I question. Because if you want to know if this is a way of God, you compared your experience to what Jesus Christ revealed when he walked on the earth. You, reveal, you, you compare it to scripture. God will never contradict his word. So if God's telling you to do something that contradicts this, you're wrong. And somebody should tell you that. In scripture, God never shows up just to talk for the sake of talking. God shows up to take charge. So the moment God tells you to do something, that is his timing, and he expects you right then to say, yes, Lord, because you can't say no, Lord, and him still be your Lord. You have the greatest news on earth. What are you gonna do with it? Watch this video and we'll wrap it up. Dear, we went to Sarah for what you have been accepted to. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Hannah, you gotta see this. Look at this. Come here, come here, come here. Okay. Congratulations. Thank you. Start from the beginning. God has brought somebody into your life who needs to hear good news. Are you going to be the one to tell them? You don't have a choice if the baby in the manger is your Lord.
Let's pray together and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you for invading our planet to rescue us. Help us to share that message. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.